1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you
0: use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
2: Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month, and you get access to daily commentary. And every week, we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow.
3: You everything you need to fight the Trump administration? This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com/slash the Bill Press Show.
2: The lesson is: don't trust your son or daughter with a Catholic priest. It's the only lesson you can take out of that grand jury report from Pennsylvania yesterday. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Can you believe it? It is August 15, uh, 2018. And here we are, the Bill Press Show, with uh, lots and lots and lots of big news today to talk about, lots to bring you, lots to share with you, lots to uh, you know tackle with you. Uh, the meaning of it all from the uh, incredibly contentious briefing yesterday uh, at the White House, where uh, of course we knew she would, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, defending uh, President Trump's calling Omarosa Manigod Newman a dog, not like a dog, a dog, uh, and saying, you know, he was just frustrated. And that's what he calls people when he's uh, frustrated. The Paul Manafort trial, yeah, arresting yesterday with a bombshell announcement by the defense that they're not going to call any witnesses, not going to put Paul Manafort on the stand. Uh, They think the prosecution did not make its case and that the jury will agree with that. So therefore, no need for witnesses. And Democrats romp Across the nation in primaries in Wisconsin and Vermont and Connecticut. Uh, And there's one other state, Minnesota, of course. And we'll take you all the way through those and uh, some astounding, astounding candidates coming up on the Democratic side. Diversity rules the day uh, for the Democrats. Take a look at all that news. Digest it a little bit and then let us know what you think about it all. Send us your comments on Twitter, at PP Show. Look forward to hearing from you, as always. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just
3: a couple of other stories making news. Now, this story is completely insane. We go to West Virginia, where the House of Delegates yesterday impeached... Four justices of the state Supreme Court because they accused them of lavish spending. There have been some reports. They spent $42,000 on an antique desk, $32,000 on a blue suede sectional sofa, $7,500 on an inlaid wooden floor uh, map of West Virginia's 55 counties. All in all, they have spent millions of dollars on renovations. But here's the thing because the Virginia West Virginia House of Delegates have voted to impeach these four justices their governor would be able to yes. appoint their immediate replacements their three, governor
2: 3 out of the 5 had been re- appointed by democrats this yep. is a this is a republican coup yeah coup I, I,
3: I was going to say i mean look it's a yeah. bad look that they spent this kind of money however the governor who is a republican will be able to replace all of these justices with conservative uh, Supreme Court justice in the state of West Virginia.
2: Uh, yes. Uh, lavish use of the use of the public funds. However, <laughs> I don't think it comes up to a high crime and misdemeanor. I think they may have a constitutional problem even in West Virginia.
3: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It was really interesting. I was reading about this this morning. They were saying that one of the things is like they have no oversight. It's one of the only states that has no oversight of the Supreme Court. They get to spend whatever they want. And so that's the problem you should be addressing. Like, fix that problem.
2: Uh, uh, I'm not sure we have any oversight here. Fair enough.
3: Seriously. Fair enough. No, fair enough. A lot of states do, apparently, but West Virginia does not. By the way, if you're looking for a new job and you're a little concerned that maybe you're not going to be the right fit because you've got tattoos, well, there is a new study from the University of Miami that says having tattoos will not have an effect on your job prospects or on your salary.
2: Depends on if you can see them or not.
3: That's what it, that's one of the things they point out. Like, look, if you have a couple of tattoos that you can cover up with a long sleeve shirt or something like that, that's fine. If you get, you know, a pentagram tattooed on your forehead... That might also that might actually uh, impact your job uh, prospects. So think think about that before you get that next tattoo. And you may be on the job market. It might not actually
2: matter. Hey, Donald Trump hired Roger Stone. That's right. He's got the tattoo of Richard Nixon on (laughs) his back. That's right. He's talking about the grossest, (laughs) terrible, vile tattoo that you can imagine. Right? Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Democrats rule the night with diversity in the primary elections across the nation in Minnesota, in Vermont, in Connecticut, and in Wisconsin. A great night for the Democratic Party. We'll tell you all about it. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show. Hello, hello. Great to see you and welcome. On this Wednesday, August 15, man, summer is almost over, flying by, uh, I don't know what you, our grandkids start school next week, oh my God, yeah, so here we are, what happened to summer? Wonderful to see you today because uh, it's another big day in the Trump world, lots to talk about, I was at the briefing at the White House yesterday, oh my God, you won't believe some of the things that Sarah Huckabee Sanders said. The Paul Manafort trial yesterday, the defense resting its case without making a case, not calling one witness, not putting Paul Manafort on the stand. They believe the prosecution did not make its case, and the jury will see it their way, and they don't want to clutter it up with any defense witnesses, don't want to clutter it up by giving the prosecution a chance to interrogate or cross-examine their witnesses. And meanwhile, yes... Big primaries last night in Connecticut, in Vermont, in Wisconsin, uh, and in Minnesota uh, with some astounding results we'll tell you all about as we join you today online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you also, of course, on Free Speech TV nationwide. Hello there in TV land and on the radio. Here we are good old-fashioned radio, uh, statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and throughout the greater Chicago area on the w- on WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago. Uh, yes, indeed, but you know we start in none of those areas. We start with a shocking, shocking, stunning report yesterday from a grand jury in Pennsylvania, grand jury, taking a look at uh, alleged cases of sexual abuse, by priests in six out of eight dioceses in the state of Pennsylvania. And their report concluded uh, that in those six dioceses over the period of some 70 years, there were more than 300 priests who were guilty of sexually molesting little boys and little girls, over a thousand of them. Over 300 priests, over 1,000 victims. And what happened to them? What happened to those priests? Absolutely nothing. Why? Because the bishops and, and a series of bishops, succeeding bishops, not just one. First of all, we're talking about six dioceses. But in every case, the bishops in those six dioceses and their successors and their successors just look the other way. The conclusion... Of the report is chilling quote this is from the language of the report quote priests were raping little boys and girls and the men of god who were responsible for them not only did nothing they hid it all for decades big black mark on the catholic church and you know if it happened in pennsylvania it happened state after state after state, probably in every state and in every diocese. And of course, this all came to light. First, remember back in, uh, uh, I think it was 2002, or maybe earlier, uh, up in the Boston area, which was highlighted, uh, the Boston Globe breaking that story, highlighted in that great movie Spotlight, which told the story of how the Boston Globe got the story and went after it, even though the church tried to silence them. Uh, Boston Globe exposing it there. Uh, and this report from this grand jury, of course, comes on the in the wake of just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Cardinal Theodore McCarrick of Washington, D.C., the top-ranking cleric in this country, and the guy was a co-chair of the commission that the pope appointed to look into questions of sexual abuse, was himself forced to resign as a cardinal uh, because it came out that he, in fact, uh, was guilty of sexual abuse of several young seminarians and young priests uh, in, his, in his early days uh, in, in the priesthood. So it just gets worse and worse. and the church still, they don't get it. and I hate to say it, but this Pope doesn't get it. His record, he himself admits covered up uh, ques- uh, uh, cases of priests guilty of sexual abuse uh, in, in, when he was a bishop. Um, and recently, he went to Chile and said he had total faith in a priest down there who'd been accused of uh, molesting young kids. Uh, and it turned out that the Pope was dead wrong. He shouldn't have said anything. Should have condemned him, is what he should have done. But certainly not not said he believed him. You know, I'm so glad I'm glad you the mentioned Pope on down. I'm, I'm glad it, you it, mentioned the they, Pope. They don't get it.
3: I'm glad you mentioned the Pope because everybody talks about how great this Pope is and he's been right on a lot of different things. This is I've the got a blind eye here. Like the best that the Catholic Church can do in terms of a progressive Pope, right? Yeah. And he cannot even see what the real problem is. And it's also like, you know, this story out of Pennsylvania, Ray Ray said this earlier, you feel like you have to double check the numbers that are in there because they are so jaw-dropping. You cannot believe that we allow this to happen in this this country. This is like
2: nationwide. No, this is one state. One state. Yeah.
3: 300 different
2: priests, a thousand different kids. Yeah. And by the way, in this report, uh, not to get into it, that but the report is very graphic. It details things that these priests did uh, to these little boys and girls. Uh, one priest who raped a girl in her hospital bed if she had just had her tonsils out. Uh, another priest who got a young a teenage girl, pregnant, and then paid for her to have an abortion, Uh, and just countless, of very, very graphic details of the kind of abuse we're talking about, and one of the things I found most sickening, I don't have the exact language in front of me, was they quoted a letter uh, that a bishop had written at this time, uh, showing some empathy in this whole case, Uh, and the letter was sort of like, I'm paraphrasing, of course. You know, oh, I I share your pain. I'm so sorry. Uh, I know how you're grieving, and I grieve with you, and I just want you to know, basically, my thoughts and prayers are with you in this difficult time. Uh, And that was a letter that the bishop wrote, uh, not to the victim, not to the victim's family, that the bishop wrote to the priest.
3: Unbelievable.
2: Who had confessed to him that he had committed these crimes unbelievable every one of these priests should be in jail every one of these bishops ought to be in jail and they should have been there a long time ago and, and I've said this before as a former seminarian uh, and d- did my time in the seminary the, uh, to me the overriding message is the church has got to get off of this celibacy kick because I'm not saying that every every priest is a pervert I'm just saying that that requirement of celibacy, that that attracts to that profession a lot of people who are really screwed up sexually, who who just can't deal with sexuality, and they see this as an easy way out, and then they go in all kinds of directions. And it's not that they're straight or not that they're gay. I'm not saying that either. It's just that 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 requirement brings in a certain amount of people. Just like I would say, we've talked about this before. Law enforcement brings in a certain amount of people who really want to abuse that power, yeah. and we've seen it happen. My God, we saw that tape up in Baltimore, Yeah, right, with this, pre, this cop there who just just resigned. So the message, I think, here in the church is they've got to see they have a fundamental problem that they just still refuse to address. A- a- and also, you know, i got to say, also, Catholics have to get up and say, yeah. God damn it, fix this. Yeah. Catholics have yes. to stop going mm-hmm. along, sitting there in the pew and nodding their heads and say, oh, yes, Father, oh, yes, Father. No, they ought to... Boycott Whether it's and to not give any money until they fix this problem.
3: Whether it's any of the stories that you mentioned, you know, the, the Spotlight story, the McCarrick story, there's a documentary on Netflix that I encourage everybody to watch called The Keepers, which starts out as a murder mystery and then gets into the fact that mm. the, the uh, in Maryland, the Catholic Church covered up years of, of child abuse. Uh, I mean- it, take your pick. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, I mean, it's everywhere. It's rampant. It's everywhere. And it's not just about these offenders, but it's about the institution of the Catholic Church. They are enablers. I mean, you cannot say, oh, we've got a couple of bad outliers mm, here. No. It is a coordinated effort to protect abusers of children. Right. That's who the Catholic Church I, is. And
2: this report comes at a time when I think most people figured that this scandal had gone away and this problem had been taken care of.
3: Hey, we got and, a cool new pope now. Everything's and this fine. This is a to be better. chilling
2: reminder that nothing has changed. Yeah. Beware, beware, beware. Uh, yeah, don't trust your uh, son or daughter with a Catholic priest is the only message you can take away from this. Hey, i got to tell you, yesterday we talked a lot about Omarosa, and it was during our program yesterday, just uh, less than 24 hours from now, when the president congratulated General Kelly for firing that dog, talking about Omarosa. Well, uh, we mentioned that, of course, Sarah Huckabee Sanders would, if, if she had a briefing yesterday, it was none scheduled at the time, she would come out and defend her, defend the president for making that statement. I still couldn't believe it, but I had to go to the briefing yesterday because I had to see, and I'm walking, I'm, seriously, I'm walking and I'm thinking, can she really defend that? Will she really defend that? Well, the answer is, yes, she could, and yes, she did. Uh, The first question on that topic coming from uh, Jonathan Carl from ABC News. He got the first question, and he went right for the jugular.
4: We've heard from the president uh, via Twitter on Omarosa describing her as crazed, a crying lowlife, a dog. Is this any way for a president to talk about any American, let alone somebody that he hired and made the highest ranking African-American woman that served in his White House?
2: Uh, And Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, well, good question. Um, Well, you got to admit, you know, the poor guy, he was the poor guy. He was just frustrated.
1: Uh, I think the president is certainly voicing his frustration uh, with the fact that this person has shown a complete lack of integrity particularly by the actions following her time here at the White House. Why did he hire her? I mean why did he hire somebody he's describing as a dog? The president wanted uh, to give her a chance and he uh, made clear when General Kelly came on and he voiced concerns uh, that this individual what didn't have the best interest of the White House and the president and the country at heart uh the president said do what you can to get along and if you can't uh he gave him full authority to carry out the decision to let her go
2: so the first defense is he was frustrated so you have to defend you have to okay this is okay for the president to call her a dog uh he was frustrated that was the first line of defense the second line of defense in response to a follow-up question uh, by another reporter she said well the president always fights fire with fire Oh, the president always fights fire with fire. That's like Melania saying you got to understand if you hit him, he'll always hit you back. Therefore, whatever he does, whatever he says, President of the United States, that's okay. And the third line of defense was this has nothing to do with racism. Uh, despite all the other things that he said about prominent African Americans in the last week LeBron James, Don Lemon, Maxine Waters, I'm surprised again.
3: That's just this week.
2: But that's this that's week. Just this week, right? But this has and Omarosa now. This has nothing to do with racism. Sarah Huckabee Sanders said. In fact, she says he attacks everybody, not just blacks. He attacks everybody with with uh, with vile language. So that's their defense. You got it. He's fr- he's fr- he's expressing his frustration. He fights fire with fire, and. He attacks everybody, not just uh, African Americans. Uh, yes, that <clears throat> boy. I got to tell you, it was disgusting. And then, and and then, uh, the question about, of course, is there this tape, as Omarosa says there is, of the president back in his apprentice days, freely using the N word. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, first of all, says, "Well, uh, I never heard it. I never heard him say it."
1: The president uh, addressed that question directly via Twitter. I'd refer you back to him. I can certainly say I've never heard him use uh, that term or anything similar.
2: So, Kirsten Walker from uh, from uh, uh, Kristen Walker from NBC News asks, "So, can you can da- can you guarantee us right now?" By the way, I got to say something, that uh, uh, she, Kristen was trying to fo- uh, do a follow up, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders did the old. No, I'm moving on. Go moving to somebody on. else. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, and um, it was um, blanking on his name. Good friend for, uh, for Fox News, Kevin. Yeah. Um, boy.
3: Sorry. Yeah. I, I hope he help. doesn't
2: hear the tape because he'll really give me a hard <laughs> time. At any rate. Uh, but so Chris got her follow up and she said, So can you, right now, can you just guarantee us that there is no such tape and we will never hear? So such, no such tape.
1: Uh, I can't guarantee uh, anything, but I can tell you that the president addressed this question directly. I can tell you that I've never heard it.
2: Yes. Uh, just think he, about that for a second. Right.
1: Just, I mean, just, I
3: mean, aside from yeah. the spin that she put on it and this conversation about whether Armorosa is telling the truth about everything or grandstanding to sell her book, just think about it for the moment for just a second. That the press of the United States had to go up there and say, "I cannot say that there is no tape, no right. tape of the leader of the free
2: world mm-hmm. saying the n-word." You know there is such a tape.
3: Damn straight there is. You
2: know it. Uh, uh, she could not guarantee it. I think she was smart not to not to guarantee it. Uh, by the way, yeah, Don Lemon talked about this uh, last night, and he said, <laughs> "So if that tape came out." would we really be surprised this is president trump and that's kind of language he uses it would be rational to think that if this purported tape of trump using the n-word exists and there is no proof that it does but if it did it would be a bombshell right right it would have to be or would it (laughs) or would it yeah good point
3: yeah, I, if you need to see if you need Kevin Cork from Fox go. News, Kevin Cork, who
2: said, "No, Kristen, you you take your follow up." Thank you, Kevin.
3: If you need a tape of Donald Trump saying a racist word to believe that he is actually racist, then you just haven't been paying attention. If right. that's what you need to finally like convince you that he's racist or a, or white supremacist right. or whatever, if that's what you need, you just haven't been paying attention.
2: Uh, there are a couple of other things that came out in the briefing, of course. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying that, uh, um, that uh, n- 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 non-disclosure agreements, uh, NDAs, were common. Every uh, Not just in, in business, of course, which, uh, where they are, uh, but that every White House and every administration had required everybody working there to sign a non-disclosure agreement, at, w- at which point the entire briefing room uh, resounded in a, no, 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 that's not true. It is not true. She was just lying about that or got her facts wrong. She, ought to go to, she also got her facts wrong when it came to African-American unemployment, She uh, jobs rather, new jobs for African-Americans. She said that under Donald Trump so far, 700,000 new jobs have been created uh, for African-Americans or African-Americans hold 700,000 new jobs under Donald Trump. Compared, she said, to Barack Obama, in eight years, there were only one hundred ninety-five thousand new jobs created for African Americans. Um, what a
3: ludicrous statistic!
2: Totally ludicrous. You know, here's my notes. I got my notes from the. I wrote that down. I had a great. I put a great big question mark alongside of it because I knew that was phony baloney. And of course, it is. The uh, Bloomberg reported at first. They went to the Labor Department to check the statistics. Actually, in eight years, there were three million new jobs for African Americans or created and held by African Americans under Barack Obama. 3 million is a long way from 195,000. Good grief. Yeah. Right. Wow. But they just throw this crap out there. Yeah. You know what? This is what Donald Trump does at the rallies and then everybody believes him. When you do it at the White House briefing room uh, there are people there are smart enough to say, let's check that before we report it.
3: You know, all this talk about the the press being the enemy of the people and look, I got a lot of problems with how the press has handled Donald Trump and other people that are Donald Trump supporters have a lot of problems with how the, the press has mm-hmm. handled Donald Trump for completely different reasons. However, if you need one example of why the free press is absolutely yeah, critical right. to our democracy, it's that. They can't just come out and say something completely unchecked. Nope. And if nobody had checked on that stat, they would not have corrected it. They would have just let they it would hang n- out there you forever. You are
2: absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. And so, you know, that's our job. Our job yeah. is to tell the truth. Our job is to report the news. And Donald Trump may say, we are at war with the White House. No, we are doing our job. <laughs> our job is to report the facts. Uh, a couple of other Omarosa-related uh, uh, happenings yesterday. One is that she uh, told uh, M S. Uh, Katie Turr on MSNBC yesterday afternoon that she has already talked to Robert Mueller's uh, people. Uh, she did say she'd be willing to show them the tapes. It turns out she's actually already talked to them, I guess, and told them what tapes she has. Whether that has any connection or she knows anything about the Russian investigation, who knows, but th- I- it's interesting that there's a link there. I hope she's given all of her tapes to Robert Mueller just in case... She was certainly around when a lot of stuff was talked about. Yeah. Yeah, right, because she had open access, open door to the Oval Office. Uh, And in retaliation, uh, the Trump campaign yesterday announced that they have opened an arbitration, filed an arbitration lawsuit uh, against Omarosa for the nondisclosure agreement she signed as a member of the campaign, which says that she could never say anything disparaging about the candidate she was working for, Donald Trump, while she was working on the campaign, or ever after, or thereafter, which is totally unenforceable. You just cannot compel anybody not to say anything ever for the rest of their life. You cannot do it, and every attorney will tell you that. But the campaign uh, filed this yesterday, And uh, the New York Times reports this morning that it's uh, pretty clear, the White House admits, the campaign filed this against Omarosa because Donald Trump said you've got to do something to get back with her. And you've got to send a signal to anybody else that if you violate your nondisclosure agreement, we are going to take you to court. I mean, this is the classic Donald Trump M.O., I'm going to sue. Remember, he was going to sue all the 26 women or so who have sued who have accused him of sexual harassment. He never filed that lawsuit, and this is a this is a BS publicity stunt on the part of the campaign too, uh, to try to show that they're going to do whatever they can to but silence Amorosa. The idea that they're going to silence Amorosa, they might as well forget about that. Right. You know what I think is really what really funny. I find funny is she is the second woman now to beat Donald Trump at his own game.
3: <laughs> I think that's fair. Yes.
2: Stormy Daniels first. And now Amarosa and Monica Newman have shown that that they are as clever, if not more clever than Donald Trump at using the media to tell their story. And, you know, what's really delicious is who did Amarosa learn it from? Donald Trump. She's been his. She watched him tape people. She watched him threaten people that are, you know, careful because I may have you on tape. She watched him you know, put people down and uh, and, uh, attack people and insult people. She watched him. She knows his tactics, and she's using it against
3: him. It's one of those where the student becomes the master, right? Like, she started out Mm -hmm. as a a contestant on The Apprentice 15, 16 years ago, whenever it was, and, like, look at what he has created. Mm -hmm. Look at what he's created. I know. It's Dr. Frankenstein's monster.
2: Sow the wind, <laughs> reap the whirlwind. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, over in Virginia yesterday, a pretty stunning development. Everybody was saying, okay, now the prosecution has rested its case. Let's hear from the defense. How are they going to defend Paul Manafort? Who are they going to put up to say good things about Paul Manafort? And what will Paul Manafort say? Uh, in response to the charges weighed leveled against him by Robert Mueller, and the defense, having given its chance, said, "Your Honor, we rest our case. We are making no case. We are not. Go- it's not that we're not going to defend our guy. They said we're not going to put up any witnesses. We're not going to put him on the witness stand. Um, and this is for the defense. Uh, a a lot of uh, lawyers, legal scholars were saying yesterday." It's kind of a classic case. It's a sort of it's a message that they're sending to the jury that we don't believe we have to put up witnesses because we don't believe the prosecution has made its case, and the burden of proof is on the government, on the prosecution in this case. We don't believe that the, uh, that they've made their case, and we are confident the jury will agree with us. That, not, that they didn't pr- prove Paul Manafort's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. So there would be closing arguments um, today. In this case, the judge, again, has limited closing arguments to an hour and a half. We'll hear from the prosecution. We'll hear from the defense. The judge is going to give his instructions. The jury will go out. And we could know as early as tomorrow the fate of Paul Manafort and, by extension, uh, the fate of Robert Mueller.
3: Man. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. A lot riding on that.
3: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And then, yes, there were a lot of primaries yesterday, some very important ones with some very, very um, interesting uh, and historic results all across the country. Adam Wallner from McClatchy News joins us coming up next year to take us through some of the primaries and the other political news of the day. On this Wednesday, August 15, a quick break, and we'll be right back. And don't forget your comments. Let's hear from you on Twitter, at PP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. All right, on a Wednesday, a big Wednesday, morning after the primaries. Here we are, The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. Uh, and moving out to you coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., well, we're brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers. And man, the Iron Workers are celebrating today with a big victory in Wisconsin of Randy Bryce, otherwise known as Iron Stash, um, a leader of the Iron Workers in the state of Wisconsin, who won his primary yesterday uh, to uh, run for, for, for Congress for the seat formerly held by Paul Ryan. He's already pushed Paul Ryan out of the race. And now maybe uh, in November we'll be coming here to Washington as uh, I think the first iron worker uh, to ever be a member of Congress. Good for the iron workers, and thank them for the support of the program. And welcome to the studio, our good friend Adam Walner, who has uh, changed jobs, is now with moved from National Journal to McClatchy News. Hey, Adam, good to see you.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me on. All All right, congrats, man. That's
2: we cool. We like your new. Yeah, uh, we like your new McClatchy. Uh, Line up their outfit. Their. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this, the new uniform, stan- standard yeah. issued. Yeah, uniform, Exactly.
3: <laughs> I always love 81. when the guests come in and make us look like slobs. <laughs> <I know. laughs>
2: All right. Uh, As you know, we've had lots to talk about so far, even before we get to the primaries. Peter? Yes, indeed. We are on Twitter at at BP
3: Show. At BP Show, people are weighing in on, uh, well, as you can imagine, lots of Omarosa comments. We have one saying, Omarosa is playing the game under Trump's rules, and apparently Trump cannot handle it. Mm -hmm. Pass me the popcorn. Jim Johnson right. says, "Bill, this is uh, something we yeah. often ask guests here on the show. Uh, Bill often asks e- guests the odds of the Democrats taking the House and Senate in the election. Can he also ask the guests which sitting members of Congress are in legal trouble with Robert Mueller? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's yeah. a, that's a good idea. We should uh, put that out there uh, again on Omarosa, uh in the chat room, YouTube.com/slash/The Bill Press Show. Sabrina asks." Or says, uh, Trump's N-word tape drops today won't make any difference. His followers will love it. And Tad says, if there are no pardons and we can get the Russians to stand trial, we could have U.S. versus USA versus Russia prison basketball games,
2: <laughs> which is
3: one. <laughs> Way to look at it. Find us on Twitter at BP Show, or again, you can find us on the YouTube chat room. It's YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. You can watch the show, but we also have a live chat all during the morning, so check it out there.
2: Uh, at the ri- Thank you, Peter. At the risk of spending too much time on Amorosa, the one thing that, I, that we've never talked about, Adam, you can weigh in on this too, um, is her claim in the book that... As she was leaving the Oval Office once after a meeting with, uh, after the president had met with Michael Cohen, that he was chewing on a piece of paper um, so that it wouldn't it wouldn't end up in the presidential records. <laughs> now, I don't know whether it's a true story or not, but the image of the president of the United States taking a document and then eating a little bit of it at a time. I find it just so amusing. It's but so absurd. It is so absurd, but yeah. it's not impossible. It'd be so
4: surreal. It reminds me of of this episode of <laughs> of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where the guys like eat eat a contract so <laughs> so that the lawyer like avoids getting it. I I can't imagine that would actually
2: happen in in real life, but 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 who knows? I'm, I think I, I remember like when I was I don't know, grade school or high school, I would chew on paper. Yeah, right? sure. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> As uh, someone said, it may be the healthiest thing Donald Trump ever ate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have his burrito bowl in front right. of Right. So, Adam, you were looking at the primaries yesterday. There was a lot going on, yeah. particularly primaries in uh, in uh, Minnesota, in Wisconsin, in Connecticut, and Vermont. Uh, what are the highlights for you? Yeah, I guess the, the two big takeaways
4: were now you know two of the. Premier governors races, I think we're going to see in, in the fall are, are now set. One in in Wisconsin, Scott Walker once again uh, running for for re-election. Uh, he He's no stranger to, to the statewide ballot in Wisconsin, and it looks like he's probably going to face his, his toughest um, uh, race yet. Uh, one just because of, of the national environment has been you know looking favorable for Democrats um, all all cycle. And Scott Walker himself has even warned that he's he's in for a tough race. I mean, you know, he he was really ahead of a lot of Republicans, both in Wisconsin and nationally, saying that Republicans really need to pr- be prepared for a blue wave. And he actually said, um, while he was campaigning in the days leading up to the primary, he said, Democrats could put Daffy Duck on the ballot and he would start with 48% of the vote. So he he realizes he's gonna be in for a really tight race, but he's a very experienced campaigner, knows what he's up against, he's gonna be well-funded. And uh, his opponent is gonna be Tony Evers, who was the state superintendent. And it's interesting in both Wisconsin and in Minnesota, Democrats opted for sort of a more uh, traditional, non-controversial, you know, you could even say centrist Democrat uh, to go up against Republican opponents. You know, in Wisconsin, for instance, uh, Evers, who th- this is actually his, the first time he he's even run as a Democrat. The state superintendent office in Wisconsin mm-hmm. is actually a nonpartisan office. He beat out um, some slightly more liberal opponents in Malin Mitchell. Who was the,
2: Mitchell, uh, the head of the firefighters? That's right. And, and if you remember and, from
4: the 2012 recall, he was on the ticket with Tom Barrett. Yeah. And then there was also a uh, Kelda Roy's former state representative out of Madison. He was able to beat both of them. And then you look in, in Minnesota, uh, the Congressman Tim Walls, centrist Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, who he actually represented a, a district that went very heavily for Trump. In 2016, he decided not to run for re-election there. He's going to run for governor instead. And a lot of Republicans expected him to face off against Tim Pawlenty, if if people remember him. He was vying yeah, for his right. old job, former presidential candidate. But he actually lost to Jeff Johnson, who was the, the nominee in 2014. So he's running again. So so, so, so two big Paul, governor's races T.
2: Paul's political career, it looks like, is over forever, right?
4: I yeah. Mean. You know, it, it, it's kind of – I mean, it's – well, Someone like Pawlenty, it's kind of interesting that he chose this particular political environment to seek a comeback. Not only is it looking to be a good year for Democrats, but just the way the Republican Party is moving. He just doesn't fit the mold of of where that base is moving. Uh, so interesting that sort of an establishment Republican like Tim Palenti gave up a very high-paying job to run for, for governor again. Y- you if- know, I, I've, I've said this b- before, but like 10 years ago, I would have said and did
3: say guys like John Huntsman... Guys like Tim Pawlenty, they're going to have their moment in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And I am not ready to say I am completely no. wrong. I was
2: completely wrong. Well, they because just went... there's no Republican Party. Exactly.
3: They've gone so far right that there's no room for guys like Tim Pawlenty or John Huntsman anymore.
2: No, no. Um, but uh, uh, I just want to note with surprise that when I asked Adam which state he was most interested in, he said Wisconsin. <laughs> Shocker, right? Shocker. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's, you know, it's an interesting so, state. It is. No, it is. No, and particularly interesting now. And with uh, Tony uh, Evers? Is it Evers, uh, Evers is it? yeah. Evers. Um, up, up against uh, Scott Walker. And the other one there is Randy Bryce. Yeah, Ironstash, who's been our guest in studio here. Yeah. Uh, by, by the way Tim Walsh is a teacher yes so he's a member of the teachers union and then Randy Bryce um, iron worker and Maitland Mitchell, as you pointed out um, a, a firefighter but Randy, it's almost like the unions are a big deal in Wisconsin they're coming back <laughs> yeah also right uh, So Randy's got a you know he had an uphill battle let's face it against the speaker but how does that seat look now with uh, Paul Ryan gone?
4: So, you know, you'd still have to give, you know, sort of a slight just structural advantage to the Republicans in that district. You know, it's although it is kind of a deceiving district where Paul Ryan has been there for so long and has been so popular among Republicans and even independents in that district that he's been able to win it pretty handily uh, over the past few cycles. But it actually is a little more evenly divided than than you might think. So certainly the national parties are going to be paying a lot more attention to this race than they would otherwise. You actually already saw um, Congressional Leadership Fund, which is a Republican aligned super PAC that focuses on house
2: races they, they've, they're already turning their attention to Wisconsin's yeah. first district and this is uh, by the way you mentioned Tony, uh, we mentioned Tony Evers before mm-hmm. moving on uh, Tony Evers last night um, telling the crowd um, that uh, he uh, beat cancer and he can beat Scott Walker
3: I am a cancer survivor and have been cancer free for almost 10 years <laughs> <laughs> I beat cancer and I will beat Scott Walker
2: Good campaign line yeah, yeah. not bad right uh, uh, and while we're, uh, while we're in uh, Wisconsin uh, we mentioned uh, Ironstash Ironstash uh, taking his vows vo- uh, uh, last night as the uh, Democratic nominee with your help and help from people all across the district
3: and the country we were able to repeal Paul Ryan yeah.
2: and he says you know again, proud union man
3: the fact that we were even here that you've nominated a union iron worker from Caledonia who just over a year ago was at a job site at a local VA talking about how we weren't being represented here in Wisconsin or in Washington, D.C. It's a huge, huge win.
2: Yeah, it is a big, big move for him. I remember when he started, you know, he came in, he was just getting started. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a lot of attention nationwide. Yep, yeah, raised a lot of money. Right. Uh, which definitely helped.
4: And yeah, had ended up having a, you know, a tougher primary I think than he maybe would have mm-hmm. expected, but but got through that and now going up against uh, a Republican in that district that's a former Paul Ryan aide. Right.
2: History made in uh, the state of Vermont for sure where mm-hmm. the Democratic uh, nominee for governor Christine Hawkquist, Halk- 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 I guess, mm-hmm. the first transgender candidate of either major party. Uh, for governor or for anything, I think, in a major office. Yeah, yeah, yeah
4: for yeah for major yeah major party nominee. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, history made it yeah, and it's sort of interesting, you know, you'd think something like that would be would be really sort of dominating the headlines, but um has been sort of I, I think, you know, her candidacy was really overlooked, I think, by a lot of people up until mm-hmm. last night. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, you think of Vermont, you know, the, the state of Bernie Sanders, you know, you think of it as sort of... This, Bernie this...
2: Sanders, by the way, shocking, did win the Democratic primary in Vermont. Yes. yes. And okay. as
4: usual, yeah. he's going to turn it down and, and run as as an independent. But, <laughs> but, but you think in a state like... Vermont, you know, Democrats and liberal candidates would have no problem winning there, but they actually have a, hist- a long history of electing Republican governors. Right. And so she's so she's actually you know going to have an uphill battle, mm-hmm. um, even a- as the Democratic uh,
2: candidate in that race um, against Phil Scott, who's who's the incumbent governor. Incumbent right? governor, right? Uh, and here is Christine Holquist last night saying, "We did make a history
4: tonight. We made history. We already made history." Uh,
0: and. And I'm so honored to be recognized to be to, to be part of this well to be part of this historical moment. I guess.
2: <laughs> but you know, uh, it's it, it, interesting to me that the, that the, she's part of a of a new face, if you will, of American politics. Not just the Democratic Party. So she's the first transgender candidate. Kate Brown, who's who is the incumbent governor of Oregon, is the first bisexual. Gov- American governor. And then you've got Jared Paulus, Democrat in Colorado, who's the governor of Colorado, who's a Democratic nominee for governor. Uh, and let me get his name, Lupe Valdez in Texas, uh, openly gay candidate, Democrat for governor. So, I mean, you know, the, the, this, the, this, this, uh, the idea that it was like difficult for LGBTQ Americans, right, to run for office. Kind of disappearing
4: right and, and yeah and going back to even you know s- some more of last night's election results uh senator tammy baldwin you know the first, tammy baldwin, f- first right. openly um yeah. gay senator running for re-election right. this year looks like she's going to be the yep. slight favorite in, in her race you know in a state like wisconsin that has really you know swung back and forth between the two parties so uh you know in this cycle in particular you've seen you know Demo- democrats especially have have been willing to nominate you know really a diverse slate of candidates whether it's transgender candidate openly gay candidates we you know is, is particularly, women. I mean, you know, women right. ha, have been doing extremely well in in primaries so far this year. So, it really, you know, it's 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 a, a new voice, new generation rising within the, the Democratic right. Party. Right, and
2: I wonder, I wanted to mention one particularly uh, notable woman, um, Ilan. Hmm, how do you pronounce her last name? In in, uh, in Minnesota, mm-hmm. double check. She is the she will Ilan Omar, a Somali American, the first Somali American. Uh, so she's running for an, a pretty safe district. I think. Yep, yeah, Keith Ellison. Keith yeah. Ellison seat. Uh, she's the first uh, Somali-American and would be together with a woman from Michigan who's actually also in a very safe district for a John Conyers seat, mm-hmm. Rashida Tahib. The two of them will be the first two Muslim women. In the uh, in the United States Congress,
4: right? Yeah, and yeah, and so she'll be, in Minnesota, she'll be you know likely taking over for Keith Ellison, a Muslim right. himself, who is yes. going to be run- and and so he's trying to make history himself at winning statewide office uh, for the for the AG spot there, even as he's dealing with a lot of controversy mm-hmm. right now. He was still able to win that that Democratic nomination for Attorney General. So interesting to see um, these uh, you know as you mentioned, you know they're they're running in these Democratic di- uh, districts or or. Um, areas, But still, you know, in the Midwest, it is remarkable that uh, these Muslim candidates are able to break through.
2: Uh, and another first, uh, I, which I found surprising, but a first in Connecticut, Joanna Hayes uh, is a progressive who was up against uh, the establishment. This was, this was sort of an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez kind of deal where she was up against the the establishment Democratic Party mm-hmm. candidate, but Joanna Hayes, progressive supported by Bernie Sanders, won, and she will become the first African-American member of the congressional delegation from Connecticut. I think Connecticut, that's a pretty progressive state, would have done this a long time ago.
4: And the other remarkable thing about that race is that um, you know the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Commerce, a Republican-leaning business group, actually made a late endorsement um, of of her opponent. Usually, you you don't see, you know, one. I mean, one, the chamber isn't endorsing many in the primary. primary, Yeah, one, the chamber isn't really endorsing many Democrats Mm -hmm. these days, and two, they're they're usually not getting involved in Democratic primaries. But they got in late. They seem to sort of uh, miss miss the boat on this one, and I think maybe they wish they would have gotten in a little earlier to help their candidate.
2: Uh, Also in Connecticut, uh, the uh, Democratic nominee for governor is um a former guest here of the uh, of the bill press show uh Ned Lamont Ned Lamont um
3: party like it's 2006 I know. yeah <laughs> well de-
4: right. de- Democrats would like to party like it's 2006 yeah, yeah
3: right right remember it was so long ago I mean it was it was yeah. 12 years ago we had him on the show because he beat Joe Lieberman in mm. the uh Democratic primary in Connecticut and then Lieberman turned Lieberman around, turned around and, turned around around and as ran a, as an independent, and ended up winning and beating Ned Lamont. But uh, uh, yeah, we had Ned Lamont on the show a lot. Yeah, you know, a decade ago. <laughs> and,
2: uh, right. And then Lieberman um, uh, became John McCain's first choice for vice president, oh, yeah. and the Republican Party wouldn't let him do it. And so he said, "All right, well, we'll take a flyer with Sarah Palin." <laughs> how that worked out? Yeah, how did that work out? Uh, another thing that did happen yesterday was not a result of a primary this week, but last week's primary, is in Kansas, uh, the Governor Jeff Collier, uh, Peter, we got that uh, clip, uh, Governor Jeff Collier, finally threw in the towel to Chris Kobach. Here he is. I've just had a conversation with the Secretary of State, and I congratulated him on his success,
4: and I repeated my determination to keep this seat in Republican hands.
2: So um, very very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was one that could flip. It was like 190 votes or something. Yeah, it? but
4: yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. It's, it's too bad that are you know it took them this long to count all the votes. <laughs> well, I was <laughs> shocked.
3: That's back. right.
2: They still haven't but... finished in Ohio. Twelve. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
3: I was shocked that that happened yesterday because the last time we talked about yeah. it, which was like Friday. There were all sorts of discrepancies or all kinds of problems. And the the most recent count was like 90 votes because it was 191 and it turns out that close. it, It was 191 and it turns out that there was a discrepancy on one of the websites that gave Kobach 100 more votes than he actually had. And it was down to literally 90 votes for the entire state. And so, how we went from there on Friday to him conceding on Monday or Tuesday. Right. I don't know how that works out, but I
4: guess he <laughs> he felt comfortable. Well, I'm sure they it. looked
2: at the math and they just yeah. realized there were just not enough potential votes. Yeah. Right? And, and
4: another win for uh, a Trump endorsee in, in as well. He's, he's got a pretty good re- track record in the Republican primaries. But how those candidates are going to do in the general election, uh, obviously Trump's going to be a totally different factor in, in November than he is in these summer primaries.
2: I um, saw so a story of yours about Trump's Mormon, mm-hmm. the Mormon faith and how Trump might um either turn off votes there or help votes or what what do you what do you say yeah, so, that
4: yeah, yeah so it's interesting so you know you know back in twenty sixteen, you know, Mormon voters who you know, it's it's a very small part of the of the population, you know, less than two percent of Americans are Mormons. But but they're they have historically been the most reliable Republican voting group of any religious group in the country. And that's particularly felt out in, in the mountain west states like Utah, Nevada, Arizona that have um disproportionately large mormon populations and so a lot of mormons were not on board with trump during the 2016 primary some of them sort of hesitantly came around to him in in the general election after mitt romney's speech right well right mitt romney and a lot a lot of mormons uh a lot of other mormon politicians were sort of you know leading the charge against trump during the 2016 elections and you even see now someone like jeff flake who is mormon being one of the leading Mm -hmm. um uh, anti-trump voices among republicans in the senate uh, so so you look, you know, you take a look at the results and you might think, oh, well, you know, you know, 60 percent of Mormons still voted for Trump and 60 percent of Mormons still approve of him today. That seems pretty good. But if you compare that to where other Republican presidential candidates or presidents have been, it's actually much lower. I mean, really, Republican presidents should be looking for approval in, in the 80s among Mormons. So if there's any sort of drop off among them going into the 2018 midterms, that can make a big difference in states that are looking at pretty tight contests, Arizona Senate. Nevada Senate, even Utah, Mia Love's uh, district there is going to be a competitive race. So uh, basically, just uh, the reporting that I did found that a lot of Mormons are still very hesitant about Trump. And you you kind of find a wide range. You know, on on the one extreme end, you know, I found some Mormons who are just done with the Republican Party altogether because of Trump aren't going to come out to vote for them this fall. Others, you know, I think maybe are still going to sort of hold their nose and still vote for the Republican candidates this fall, even adds you know they're they're sort of against some of the things Donald Trump is doing. What
2: well, I was going to say, what is their beef
4: with Trump? So, I mean, there's two major things. I mean, one is the sort of the character issues. That's been the one of the main problems from the beginning. Uh, but more specifically, to some of the policies he's been putting forward, uh, his hardline immigration policy has really turned off a lot of Mormons because. For Mormons, you know, a lot of them, you know, have not so distant ancestors that were forced to migrate out out west due to religious persecution. And and the, the Mormon church actually um, even released a, a, a rare statement. They usually don't get involved in politics, but they released a statement criticizing Trump's uh, family separation policy at the border. So that, that that's a, a clear issue where the Republican Party is moving right on that. But they're sort of alienating uh, Mormons who have been a, a key part of their base now for the last few decades on that.
2: Right. Uh, and but Manafort, uh, Manafort, uh, um, <laughs> Romney, mm-hmm. Romney uh, has sort of um, gone underground, hasn't he, when it comes to he's he's not out there as a chief critic of Donald Trump no. anymore.
4: No, n- not anymore. And, and Romney can can sort of play it a, a little safer because he's running for Senate now in, in Utah statewide, which is still very Republican, obviously, overall. And yeah. and, uh, I mean, and, and just given his stature among the Mormon community and, re- and re- among Republicans out there, he can sort of create a brand separate from, from Trump and isn't really forced to weigh in on Trump every day the way that maybe some other candidates are. Uh, so I think, you know, for Romney, he, he realizes, he's kind of found this calculus where, you know, he's he, he maybe will find a couple issues here and there to distance himself from Trump. I don't think he's going to go out of out of his way to, to poke the bear, which is what I think a lot of Republican candidates are looking to do in, in 2018.
2: Right. Uh, and and Aaron uh, uh, Hatch has become one of Trump's biggest Defenders.
4: Yes. Yeah. And, and he and he was you know, skeptical of him in 2016, but he came around. Uh, so it's you know, it's been interesting to see how various Mormon uh, voters, how various Mormon politicians
2: have sort of decided to, to deal in their their own ways with Trump. Right. Uh, so the the question you, you follow all these midterms um, and the question we ask each of our uh, political reporters that come in is on a scale of one to 10. Right. Uh, what do you think the chances of Democrats taking back the House? Where do you put it? Um,
4: well, yeah, I guess. I, well, I would say better, better than 50 at this point. So I guess if I'm going on a scale of one to ten, maybe uh, it's a six or a seven. I, I guess. Um, I think. I think that they've got to be feeling pretty good about their chances, just because. I mean, the map right now is just so large. It, you know, they have so many targets to, to choose from, um, and if they're, you know, Ohio twelve, if they're able to compete in a district like that. Um, you know, this fall, I mean, that, that's not even one that they would necessarily need to take back that. Right. So we keep, we
2: keep doing the math. They need to, they need to win 23. Uh, obviously they'd like to have more than 23 because they'd like to have a little margin. Right. Uh, but they need 23 and there are what? 90, 100, 110, 20 seats, competitive seats. Yeah, I mean, it depends on yeah how you're exactly
4: classifying competitive. And I think that number is definitely going to shrink as we get into the fall and, and the parties have to sort of decide where to, to put their their limited resources. But but I think uh, Democrats have to be feeling uh, pretty good about their their odds right now, given just the special election results we've seen, what we're seeing in terms of, of turnout in a lot of these states, um, and also just the way Republicans are really – have been sort of struggling among uh, the, the suburban um Part of the elector. and I think that's that's really where it's going to be won or lost. If Democrats can can make significant grounds in some of these suburban districts, it's going to be really tough for Republicans to, yeah, to even, hold them off.
2: Even if um, the Ohio 12 thing is resolved, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's resolved that Troy Balderson squeaks in by you know by a thousand votes or right, something yeah. like that. Right, right. Republicans can't feel good about that. I mean, that Treberi was that his name who held that district. Uh,
4: Barry, yeah, Tebbery, yep. T-berry. Pat T-berry, yep.
2: Uh, he won it by thirty-six points the last right. time, right? And and of course, and special so if election they can barely win it by thousand points right. in two years. That 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 spells trouble. Nationwide,
4: Right. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it raised a lot of alarm bells for Republicans. And of course, special elections are sort of their own beasts where, you know, they're everyone's focused on one house race. And there's a lot of, so you know, there's not going to be the same sort of attention paid to Ohio 12, for instance, in November by both the media and by national political groups. But but yeah, just the fact that there are going to be so many more um, competitive districts on the map seems to bode well for Democrats.
2: Adam, congratulations on the new job. Uh, Thanks, Bill. And you can follow Adam now at McClatchyDC.com. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support.
3: thing you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show,
2: live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Diversity rules for Democrats last night in primaries across the country. Some has astounding historic wins. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go. On a Wednesday, August 15. Great to see you today. It is The Bill Press Show, and we're coming to you live From our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., reaching out to you all across this great land of ours and online all around the planet, and it's great to have you with us with a busy news day and a lot to talk about, uh, whether it's the uh, Paul Manafort trial, uh, closing arguments today, believe it or not, the defense deciding they were not going to put up any witnesses and not call Paul Manafort himself uh, to the witness stand. Uh, the Amorosa battle with the White House continues, of course, in high gear with the Trump campaign uh, starting an arbitration process suit against Amorosa for violation, they say, of her nondisclosure agreement with the campaign that she signed back in 2016. Meanwhile, she says, a tit for tat, I've talked to Robert Mueller. So how do you like that? Uh, and a stunning report out of a grand jury in Pennsylvania about widespread um, sexual predation, sexual abuse on the part of over 300 priests in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, Lots to cover, and um, we'll see what um, Mr. Trump is up to today. Chris Catalago from Politico covers the White House for Politico. Joins us here in the studio. Chris, it's always good to see you. Yes. Thanks
0: Thank for, you for coming in. Me back.
2: Yeah. Uh, and the press is back in town, so we're back in action, right? Yes. Yeah, indeed. Yes. All right. We'll get right to it with all of you, too, and look forward to your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this we'll the so full today. court press. You
3: got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. So, Tom and Gail Wise, they are a married couple. They got married very young. And back when they were 22, they bought a car. April fifteenth, nineteen 1964, is when they went and they bought a Skylight blue convertible Ford Mustang. Well, about 15 years after they bought it, the car stopped running, which is a good run for a car. 15 years, the car stopped running, and instead of going and getting it fixed, they went and got another car, but they kept the car, and it sat in their garage, and the husband, Tom, kept saying, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to fix it. He never did, but... Here's the thing. They are the proud owners of the very first Ford Mustang ever sold in this country. So now what they... Wait, really? Yes. The The very first Ford Mustang uh, with their purchase date of April 15th, 1964. And it turns out, by the way, they kept it around... Because it was, you know, it was their first car. They wanted, maybe he was going to fix it, restore it. But it turns out, even though it doesn't run, it's worth about four hundred thousand dollars now because it's the very first one. Again, doesn't run, but it's the first, so it's worth something. Best
2: car I ever owned.
3: I I was waiting for you to say something about it. Mustang convertible. Yeah. Uh, By the way, we should point this out. Today is the day uh, that back in uh, parkland florida is the day that the students go back to school at Marjorie stoneman douglas high school uh, it has been six months mm. since the shooting that killed 17 people and wounded 17 more uh, but they are back in school starting today starting today and like you know they've talked to some of the students that have that were there for the incident and uh You know, a lot of them didn't go back to school last year for obvious reasons, PTSD and all that. And so, uh, some of the ones that have graduated have also gone out to try and raise awareness for the fact that we have a gun problem in this country.
2: So, where will it go from here? What's great is that so many of the uh, kids graduated last year are still on the road uh, during a national been doing a national bus tour uh, reminding people that in in the midterm elections is when you have a chance to um, make a difference and vote for people who are going to do something about sensible gun control.
3: yeah, I mean, what a what a just a, an unbelievably crazy year for those kids. So, uh, good luck to them as they go back to school. Again, it starts today.
2: This is the Bill Press Show. Well, the lesson is uh, do not trust your son or daughter to a Catholic priest. Not just in the state of Pennsylvania, but anywhere. Uh, That's the message out of the Grand Jury Report yesterday. We saw in the state of Pennsylvania over 300 priests, over 1,000 victims, uh, little boys and girls that they were molesting, and uh, countless bishops who just knew what was going on and did nothing about it and looked the other way. Uh, with that shocking bit of news, we start the program here today, uh, hour number two of the Bill Press Show on a Wednesday, Wednesday, August 15. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today. And thank you so much for joining us. Lots to talk about on the political front with big primaries last night in Wisconsin, in Minnesota, in Connecticut, and in Vermont. Uh, a very heated news conference yesterday. Could Sarah Huckabee Sanders ever defend the President of the United States for calling any woman a dog, uh, yeah, it was easy. She could. She did. Uh, But the uh, news conference was a little heated, that's for sure. And the Paul Manafort trial coming to a close, closing arguments today over in Alexandria, Virginia, to help us through all the news of the day, particularly White House-related. Chris Catalago covers the White House for Politico. Uh, and joining us in studio. Chris, good to see you. So I have, uh, in the Trump years, been to a lot of uh, pretty contentious news conference, uh, uh, White House briefings. And I really did go down to yesterday because, first of all, the president's back in town. It's the first briefing for 10 days or so. Uh, but I really, walking into the gate last yesterday, I'm just thinking... Can she possibly defend Donald Trump calling Omarosa a dog? And she could, and she did.
5: Yeah. Well, I think it's important to backtrack a little bit. So we had heard that folks around the president, as this book was starting to get attention, Omarosa's book, were trying to basically plead with him not to engage in the tit-for-tat, not to get into this. Of course... (laughs) That's a hopeless cause. Good luck. luck. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But it reached sort of a boiling point toward the end of last week. And, of course, he was in Bedminster dealing Mm -hmm. with all kinds of... uh, on his working vacation. Yes. Um, While
2: the massive renovations at the White House were taking place.
5: (laughs) We'd heard the elevator in the residence potentially couldn't nail that down. Um, but, uh, he, you know, we started to hear about these tapes and she started to drip out Mm -hmm. these tapes of not only the president, but of course the chief of staff, John Kelly, um,
2: firing her. And we heard, by the way, there may be tapes about Jared with Jared and Ivanka, Yes, which we haven't heard yet. We did report
5: that, that there were some tapes where Jared and Ivanka sort of, uh, potentially commiserated with her after the, uh, after the firing, and talked with her about how this was a tough business, and mm-hmm. um, and so of course that didn't work with the staff, and Trump uh, started to engage. Sarah Sanders put out a statement late last week saying <laughs> that this was all false, that the that you know that she was not to be, be Omarosa was not to be believed, and then we had another sort of tumultuous weekend with Omarosa just going wall to wall on every show you can imagine. Um, right. People asking all kinds of questions. Uh, you talked about the soliciting information about the for everything from uh, sitting down or talking with the with the Mueller folks, Mueller investigators, mm-hmm. to uh, whether Donald Trump, whether she has heard tapes or knows about tapes with him using the n word. So we go to the briefing yesterday, and we or we have the briefing yesterday, and um, this is uh, I thought one of the most. Telling moments. While while Sarah Sanders did uh, defend Donald Trump sort of at every step of the way, someone asked an interesting question about whether she could guarantee. Yeah. Uh, and and she, and I have to think that the president was not happy with that answer because usually she's able to say, you know, categorically,
2: it, boom, right? Yeah, yeah.
5: Either that or not necessarily take that question head on, mm-hmm. but the idea that she could not guarantee, you know, I was thinking, well, is she not necessarily long for the White House? You know, there's been talk for quite a while about her. She's passed her one year mark and, um, uh, you know, maybe going into either after the midterms or toward the end of the year that she would be out. And and you start to see as someone looking out for maybe their own Mm -hmm. credibility in some ways, because nobody knows what uh, tapes might be out there, and so when you start to categorically deny things, as we saw with uh, some folks from the campaign and from the administration, Patton and uh, um,
2: um, uh, who's the other woman, uh, Katrina Pearson. Uh, Katrina Pearson, yeah, who
5: uh, put out a denial and then had to walk back their statement when it was uh, shown that Omarosa did have a tape where they were discussing whether Donald Trump had said the n-word, and we had mm-hmm. Katrina Pearson on the tape saying he's embarrassed. She says she just said that to to placate Omarosa because Omarosa was right. so um, uh, overheated about the idea of this tape that they just needed to sort of talk her oh, down. Right. That, that, yeah. That's yeah. It.
2: Well, here, so here we have that exchange uh, with um, where she was asked by Kristen Welker yes. from NBC News, uh, "Can you guarantee uh, that there will never see, will never hear a tape where Donald Trump is using the N word?"
1: Uh, I can't guarantee uh, anything, but I can tell you that the president addressed this question directly. I can tell you that I've never heard it.
2: Yeah, she ca- she said several times yesterday, the president has addressed this directly, meaning he stated categorically he's never used the N-word. Which yeah. I, I just find it hard to believe. I mean, impossible to believe. But also that she couldn't deny- You know, you have to say, though— she was. I think she was smart not to say. I guarantee you, there will mm-hmm. never be a tape.
5: Nobody knows. And the thing about Omarosa is, you know, her, uh, uh, you know, her currency in this whole uh, ordeal, which I think is now in its sixth day. I'm not sure exactly how many days this. Which is Omarosa, a long time new for cycle a Trump has, scandal. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It usually does something even crazier to knock another scandal out of the headlines. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she, uh, you know, her currency here are these tapes. As long as she, her book is now, uh, um, you know, I think it's out. I think it was uh, yesterday. yesterday. Yesterday, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's uh, uh, number one on Amazon. I saw in hoaxes and deceptions. I don't know if that was some <laughs> kind of, if that was just some kind of joke, or, is that, or a category? that was a, a category. That someone, someone maybe playing some sort of prank yeah. or something. Uh, but she, as long as she has these tapes and she's able to dribble out these tapes yep. overnight. Folks within the White House, they don't know what they might have said in some passing moment. I wouldn't have known what I would have said. I mean, uh, office environment, the political no, environment—it's no. it's, yeah, it's right. scary,
2: right? And yet, they don't know uh, how many tapes she has, who, when she was taping and yeah. when she wasn't taping. Uh, taping in the Oval. if she taped in the Situation Room, she taped in the Oval Office. You got to figure that out, right? Yeah, they don't know who else is taping. Uh, and and the, they, I said earlier, she learned it all from Donald Trump, right? Because he was the master when he was in business, and uh, and even in the White House of either taping or threatening people to tape their conversations.
5: And we know, yeah, he's talked about the tapes. This is a sort of a the first real example, particularly in the White House, of of sort of a, a someone who has grown up learning the. The the TV trade, the branding trade, the media trade, sort of watching Donald Trump. This was someone that he molded, that he looked at as, as look at my creation here through The Apprentice. And now she's using all these same tactics basically against him.
2: She learned it all from him. Yeah. And so it's the student has uh, overcome the master here, right? Or certainly matching the master
5: certainly matching the question is how long does this go on and a, and i who knows we talked about the tapes also does this have any real long term effect either on the administration or on Donald Trump politically that i'm not so sure i i don't i don't know what you think but i
2: she well i'll tell you one thing It's certainly not going to impact his base his famous no. 35% base or whatever it is you know no he hasn't
5: uh, shot anyone on Fifth uh, Avenue
2: yet so. even if he did wouldn't impact it, <laughs> it wouldn't impact his base no it, it's it certainly has a little more shelf life maybe it's not going to last forever I don't think it's going to be a major factor in the midterms uh it just does I believe again just speak to Donald Trump's character particularly I mean um Jonathan Carl's first question mm-hmm. and he went right for the question that everybody wanted to ask right? which was, we got that tape too.
0: We've heard
4: from the president uh, via Twitter on Omarosa describing her as crazed, a crying lowlife, a dog. Is this any way for a president to talk about any American, let alone somebody that he hired and made the highest-ranking African-American woman that served in his White House?
2: And, she says, of course, he was frustrated. You Mm -hmm. have to understand that. Yes. Right? Right. Okay, we got it coming up here. Yeah
1: uh i think the president is certainly voicing his frustration uh with the fact that this person has shown a complete lack of integrity particularly by the actions following her time here at the white house why did he
3: hire her i mean why didn't he hire somebody he's describing as a dog the president
1: wanted uh, to give her a chance and he uh made clear when general kelly came on and he voiced concerns uh that this individual what didn't have the best interest of the white house and the president and the country at heart Uh, The president said, do what you can to get along. And if you can't, uh, he gave him full authority to carry out the decision to let her go. Uh,
2: Yeah, he was frustrated. Of course, he
5: calls people dogs. Yeah. And the dog thing, he's he's been doing this for a while. Uh, You know, this is sort of the classic example we've seen uh, with uh, with Michael Cohen. We've seen with with a number of people who have, quote unquote, turned on
2: Trump. Um, he, call, he called ariana huffington a dog uh he, he said david gregory was fired like a dog yeah uh, mitt romney something like a dog choked ever. like choke, a dog choked choke like a dog yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. if you go down this is but you, you just say he's been doing this for a while i went back yesterday because mm-hmm. i was just curious and i thought hmm megan kelly first debate so i i, I, I printed it out Here is her question at the first debate. I think this puts the whole thing in context. This
5: was the Rosie O'Donnell?
2: This is, yes. This is, to me, stunning. Now, here's the first debate, Fox News, Megyn Kelly, first question of the debate to Donald Trump. Quote, see how many things this, this evokes. Mr. Trump, one of the things people love about you is you speak your mind and you don't use a politician's filter. However... That is not without its downsides, in particular when it comes to women. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. This is the first time we've seen Donald Trump on the national stage, right? She continues, your Twitter account has several disparaging comments about women's looks. You once told a contestant on Celebrity Apprentice it would be a pretty picture to see her down on her knees. Does that sound to you like the temperament of a man we should elect as president? (laughs) That is chilling and stunning. I mean, we didn't know when Reagan asked that question. She was painting the picture of a guy that we're going to see two years later Mm -hmm. as president of the United States calling Amorosa. A dog. So, in a sense, we shouldn't be surprised. No, and I've thought about this a lot. We we get these
5: reports sometimes about what Donald Trump might have said in a fundraiser, what Donald Trump might have said to a world leader. We had a story earlier this week about Donald Trump wanting to call world leaders in the middle of the night, their time, and and he mispronouncing country names, things like that. And 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 I, what I always think is like no. we have examples of all these things, whether it's Twitter or him just saying it to reporters. I don't it's it always sort of surprises me when people are shocked to hear some of these things that have happened either behind closed doors or in a closed group of fundraisers, because he's he's said a lot of these same things, whether it's Twitter or, uh, you know, to reporters or Mm -hmm. in in a lot of these rally speeches where he's got people riled up. We should not be surprised when uh, when we
2: hear these. You things. know, we haven't had anybody in to talk about this. too. So I think Daniel Lippmann wrote that story yes. about right, um, yeah. uh, who's a good friend and a, and a frequent guest on the show too. Yes. So um, about that foreign policy, the foreign policy goofs, if you will, uh, gaffs. Did he really call it Nepal nipple? That was I, I think a couple <laughs> sources
5: said that. <laughs> yeah. He. Um,
3: what? He, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. You, see
3: no. <laughs> you know, I hadn't seen that no. and yet yeah. I am also not yeah. even remotely surprised.
2: Can you get me the president Nipple on the line? Yeah, like, right. I haven't talked to him yet. He hasn't been to the White House yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's- Sir, it's two A. M. and <laughs> Well and that was the other thing. He would just say, call so and so and they would say, Sir, it's the middle yeah. of the night. Get me South Shinzo. Korea. Yeah, right. In the middle of the night. And so he's waking these people up, right? And 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 cannot accept the fact that it's not a good time to call.
5: Yeah. Some of this, <laughs> I think, you know, and from my understanding, oh, God. some of this is a lot of this is carry over from Trump, the the CEO, you know, whether it's the way that he we had another report last week from Bedminster. We we sort of tried to document and category how he was spending his time there. And this story talked about how he had ordered over Chris Liddell, who's a Top policy person over there uh, 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 to draft up a, an executive order on um, on uh, folks who had graduated first in their class, sort of a merit-based immigration thing, because these business CEOs that he had been meeting with were so adamant uh, in talking to him about uh, you know the visa program and immigration and how they need to get skilled workers over here, and so he just sort of called them over. You know mm-hmm. that that's a very sort of CEO yeah. Trumpian move, and, and I think ordering up these world leaders on the phone is sort of part of that same uh you know motif when it comes to Trump he's just sort of you know the freewheeling CEO who who is uh and he's talked about whether he uh, whether people want him to act presidential or not
2: uh, yeah and he he said it'd be, remember he said in song it's it, it'd be easy to act presidential yes, yeah. but
5: that would be boring that would be boring
2: yeah um there was a couple of other points in the briefing I want to come back to you say yeah. one is And this is when there was almost a mutiny on the bounty yesterday uh, when um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders categorically stated that non-disclosure agreements, NDAs, Mm -hmm. were common in the business world, um, which they are, and in government offices and in the White House. And every White House and every administration has required everybody to sign an NDA just like Donald Trump has.
5: Not true. No. What... What we have heard from previous administrations, the Bush administration, the Obama administration, there are certainly not what you would consider a non-disparagement agreement. But there are some agreements that are given to folks when it comes specifically to classified information, that they would not disclose classified information within the White House. That That is
2: different. So you're
5: seeing a a mixing of apples and oranges to kind of – muddy up the answer and say, oh, this is common. There is that element, but for the most part, certainly the non-disparagement, while maybe people have had those on campaigns, that's a whole different story.
2: We've yeah, heard no, from We're talking camp- about White but House. We're talking about White we're House, about government pe- staff. We're talking about people who work for yeah. the American people. Now, they may be working in the White House for any particular, but they are working for the American people. That, 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 yeah, no, uh, that. In fact, I walked out of the briefing yesterday with a uh, um, uh, um, I would say a conservative reporter. She mm-hmm. certainly reports for a conservative newspaper, uh, and she just said, "I don't accept this fact that yeah. that people who work in the White House are working only for the president. No, they're they're working for us." Yeah. Right? Uh, so that was just a, a a false assertion on the part of uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, which was coupled with a, another false assertion about. The number of jobs for african-americans mm-hmm. and
5: i think i did i could be wrong but i think i saw an apology come through on that one
2: very rarely mm-hmm. a, a v- rare meaning an yeah. apology from the white house mm-hmm. they admitted that they got it wrong mm-hmm. where sarah huckabee sanders said that under barack obama only 195,000 jobs for african americans were created in eight years mm-hmm. and in fact the number was three million yeah and bloomberg it was a bloomberg who went to the department of labor and said. Yeah, what's going on here? This is what I, she said in the Department of Labor. The Trump Department of Labor said, no, that's wrong.
5: I think, you know, Sarah Sanders has gotten credit for sort of being able to deflect, being able to not necessarily engage these things. That I've talked to a lot of people about sort of what, the, the, what that position has become in this day and age, particularly under Trump. And, and it's sort of this way to uh, coolly dismiss things and not necessarily answer them. You don't, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we saw with Spicer where he tried to be kind of the attack dog in this day and age with the way those that those come off and the way that they're broadcast live. That doesn't seem to work anymore. You you got to be kind of calm, cool and collected. You remember Tony Snow in, in yeah. the Bush administration, yeah, Just sort of everything rolls off your back. And I, I would have to say, you know, I would think objectively, given the fact that she's done this apology, given this answer about not being able to guarantee that there were tapes. This, this was not her best outing
2: um, yesterday. Uh, And I I think think you heard that from the reporters in the room. uh, I think that's that's safe to say (laughs) for for sure. Now, um, Amara also claims, has claimed, that she was offered a $15,000 a month deal um, to take a BS job um, and keep her mouth shut. How many others have taken that deal? Well, it's a good question.
5: I think there's a lot of reporting going on now about that the tough thing is, and this has always been tough, how do you uh, catalog? How do you document sort of a no-show job? In her case,
2: well, she basically
5: at, came out and admitted
2: to it. You look, that's right. You look at the people who have left, yeah, and see where they are today and who's paying them. Yeah. Well, Sean we, Spicer comes to mm-hmm. mind.
5: We know that the RNC uh, has has had some of these former administration slash former Keith Schiller, I think, is on. Some, yes, yeah. Uh, I believe it. He might be in the fifteen thousand dollar category too. So the question is, what are these folks doing? Are they talking about it? In most cases, no. Uh, there's a separate category of people who may not be on any official political payroll, but who have benefited from their association with Donald Trump, have gotten <laughs> clients that way, and you would imagine that because they have these Trump-associated clients, because they are now uh, uh, in demand for their time in the White House, they are also much less likely to uh, spill the beans about anything they may know because their um, livelihood would depend on the job they landed. So there are, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to decipher who out there may not be talking, whether they've signed something, whether they're on a official payroll or whether they now sort of benefit or um, are able to make far more money than they ever imagined because of their position with Donald Trump.
2: Uh, I want to ask you uh, one question about the Paul Manafort trial because um, lawyers, and legal experts that I've seen in the last 24 hours say that the fact that the defense decided mm-hmm. to rest without putting any witnesses on is a classic... Maneuver on the part of defense. They just say, this is a way of sending a message to the jury. Hey, it's not our job to prove our guy is innocent. It's their job to prove he's guilty, and they haven't done a good job. Yeah. It's pretty obvious to us. It must be obvious to you. So we'll just let you. But basically, it's it's a thumbs up or thumbs down mm-hmm. on the case the prosecution has presented. That's one theory. I wonder whether the other theory is that defense and Paul Manafort just know doesn't matter what they do because we're going to get a presidential pardon. That's a good question. I would – I think
5: that has come up. There was a good op-ed about sort of the whole situation I read yesterday in The Washington Post sort of laying out some of these scenarios. I don't know if you saw it, but but basically the question for me back to that would be what does the timing look like? Does this happen uh, before the midterms? Does it happen – After Does it matter? Has Donald Trump now sort of laid the groundwork for these pardons, whether it's Joe Arpaio or or some of these others that he's made? Um, What we do know is that both privately and publicly and through his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, he has been very focused on one message about Paul Manafort. Besides what the White House has said, which is that, you know, none of this is connected to us. This happened before. Donald Trump is focused on how unfair. This yes. case yeah, was right, and that I think does potentially uh, sort of lay the groundwork for a pardon because if he feels like, um, you know, he's made references to, and he didn't say Al Capone, he mm-hmm. said Alphonse, which was yeah, interesting. I know, I know. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's that is the question on everyone's mind now.
2: And, and it's a related question is uh, if Donald Trump was not tweeting about Amorosa in the last couple of days. He was tweeting about Robert Mueller Mm -hmm. again. I mean, again and again and again. keeps coming back to that. Um, Countless tweets uh, undermining Robert Mueller. Yeah. Is that because, you know, he just really is convinced that, that this is a win shot? Or is he really worried about the fact that they're closing in on him? Certainly, I think. We've I mean, is heard the White from, House? You get it. sense you cover the White, the, the White House is, is worried about what Mueller might come up with.
5: I think you're starting to hear more and more from folks around the president that he is worried, if not for himself, in the end, certainly folks around him and folks close to him, like his family, like his son. Um, he this has been a a, a a a sort of burn them down strategy from the beginning, and I think the part that we really are seeing to emerge now is. Anything they think uh, Robert Mueller might have, any direction they think he Mm -hmm. might be going, they are publicizing that. They are putting it out, and they are trying to kind of blow it up in the court of public opinion. Who knows if it's going to work? But they're trying to sort of – anything where they think he's going, they're shining a light on it. And that's been – I think that's been part of their strategy.
2: On that point, a veteran White House reporter yesterday – told me that he hasn't confirmed it yet, uh, so he won't report it, mm-hmm. but watching, hearing what Donald Trump's been talking about lately, he's convinced that Donald Trump Jr. Mm. has heard from Robert Mueller and has been told that he is a target of interest in the Mueller investigation. Um, that's not impossible. That would be something. <laughs> that would be big time, but I mean, if you read the tea leaves... Donald Trump's gone out of his way lately, for some reason, to suddenly praise his son, mm-hmm. you know, as being such an outstanding, great politician, great, candidate, you know, great public and great leader and great help to him and everything. And you just wonder what's behind that.
5: Well, it coincides with his son. Taking on who has had a yeah. pretty big public yeah. profile, you remember but his more, speech at the yeah. convention, but even more so, they're sending him to districts where, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, where outdoorsmen <laughs> are in demand, where because he does a lot of uh, outdoor activities, including fishies, He's avid fisherman, and they
2: see him as an asset
5: on the campaign trail.
2: And and there's more and more attention and focus before we start start talking about Omarosa, to this infamous. June 9 meeting Yes at uh, Trump Tower 2016 yeah. with the Russian uh They attorney, talked so. adoptions Well we'll see you can there's a little tip for you you can you can yeah. work on that when the we'll rest of the down. day run that <laughs> down Alright Hey Chris, it's good to see you thanks for your good Thank work Thank you so much Thanks for coming in and Politico Politico.com you can follow Chris Catalago and all of our good friends over at Politico Eliza Collins another good friend joins us from USA Today coming up next we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back
3: Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show.
2: Hey, how about it? It is The Bill Press Show, indeed, here on this Wednesday, August 14. Hello, everybody. Good to see you, and good to have you with us as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Pretty quiet here on Capitol Hill, but a lot of activity down at the White House, and Uh, The Senate comes back in town today, so things may uh, heat up just a little bit. We're coming to you live from, again, our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, great men and women of the UFCW. Under President Mark Perrone, a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families. They're the great men and women uh, that you see serving you and all of our great grocery chains across the country. Uh, so next time you're uh, out there uh, shopping, uh, salute them and thank them for uh, all the good work they do and their support of our program. Uh, Eliza Collins covers Congress for USA Today, uh, joining us here uh, in studio. It's always good to see you, Eliza. Well, good to for coming be here. Uh, and um, I don't know, you've had a nice couple of weeks break. The Senate's out of town, House out of town, but Senate comes back this week. Why?
0: They come back today and the Senate was there was all this news about how they were not going on recess because McConnell wanted to keep those red state Democrats off the trail and they had not accomplished enough. And then they took a 2 week recess. Yeah. So, they do come back today. Um they've been off
2: for 2 days?
0: Uh yeah.
2: A 2 day work week, man. Oh, I know. man, these senators. We're Congress? getting our dollars worth. Who do they think they are? Bill Press? <laughs> <laughs>
0: but <Sorry. laughs> they'll, they'll be back the next 2 weeks for their short weeks. They're doing like pushing through some court uh, circuit court nominations and they're working on appropriations bills. So, Um, You know, some of this will be controversial within the party, but we expect most of it to move through.
2: So uh, while they were out, uh, the president did sign uh, a major piece of legislation, the defense, the John S. McCain Memorial Defense Authorization Bill for 2019. I mean, that's close to what the official title is.
0: Right. Didn't he never say John McCain's name, though, when he talked about it? Not at all. Yeah.
2: He didn't even give the name of the bill he was signing because.
0: Because it, of that.
2: Because John McCain is in Right.
0: It. He doesn't like John McCain. And it's, I mean, the fact that this is such a bipartisan bill that they all chose to name it after John McCain. Yeah. And, and I know. And the fact
2: that the man is dying of brain cancer and is revered by the American people and certainly we agree with him or not, um, you got to respect and admire what he, his service to this country. Yeah, I think
0: Trump didn't want to give everybody,
2: everybody, everybody in the country would go along with it except one man, John Donald Trump.
0: And it's interesting because Martha McSally, who's the Republican, she's a congresswoman right now running um, Mm -hmm. to try to take McCain's seat. She's in a pretty messy primary over in Arizona. Um, She's trying really hard to get Trump's support. And so she was actually at the signing. I mean, you can't expect her to say something, but it is just sort of this strange, he never mentioned McCain, he had the woman trying to get a seat there, he gave her a shout out, but he has not officially endorsed her either, despite her team would really like that endorsement going into this primary. So
2: she was, I didn't realize that, she was at the signing? She was at the
0: signing, yes. There were others there too, but she's the one running for McCain's seat.
2: Now, with there with the, with so many, with all the members in the House out of town, and with the Senate out of town, they do come back today, um, was there any reaction yesterday to the president of the United States calling a woman, let alone an African American woman, a dog?
0: Jeff Flake. That is it. Was that right? Yep. And Jeff Flake, you know, he criticizes Trump. He's known to speak out about these things. Nope. Everyone was silent. We actually reached out to some offices I was going yesterday. To say, did you try to get, you know, did. a word from? Yeah. From McConnell, Mitch McConnell or- Ryan's folks not commenting. Um And a lot of the other folks, you know, just silence and makes it easier for them because they're at home. They don't have to run into reporters in the hallway. Um, I think there's a real sense. I actually talked to a Republican strategist about this yesterday, just checking in. Are you guys worried about race going into the midterms? And he basically acknowledged that, yes, Trump says problematic things, but his thought is Trump has been saying these things all along. This is not the first or probably not the last. And if he if someone stuck by the president until now, calling Omarosa a dog was what he said, was not going to put them over the edge because Trump has called lots of people dogs in both in all races and um and it, it, Republicans really live in fear of something like another Charlottesville, which is, of course, when someone died and these white yeah. nationalists rally and the president said many sides were to blame. A year later, he has come around and said racism is bad. But um, they yeah, live no. in fear of those moments more than a tweet.
2: Yeah. Two or three days ago, he put out a statement um, saying all racism is bad. You know, right. and then it took he turns a, around. a year, but... Yeah, I mean, and that's right. It took him a year, but then he did say that on the anniversary of Charlottesville. And then a couple of days later, he calls Omarosa a dog. Right. And calls Don Lemon the dumbest man on television, LeBron James, I don't know, whatever he said about him, Maxine Waters, low IQ. I mean, he yeah. continues attacking and disparaging African-Americans, and yet any form of racism is wrong. Hello. Practice what you preach, dude. But, yeah. Uh, but but for Republicans, so when they come back today, you'll make an attempt to,
0: uh, to get some comments yes. on the record. Yeah, we will. We will ask them. And I imagine. I mean, this is not the first time this has happened. I can. I can guess what they're going to say. You know, any kind of racism is bad. I. I wish she didn't tweet. I disagree. You know, I disagree with that statement. They will distance themselves to a point from the president. But I've actually talked to a lot of. Republican lawmakers lately, you know, just checking, why can you guys not break from this guy after Putin? And and they say, our polling shows, he is so popular with the base. 80 to 90% of Republicans still support the president. And so while these lawmakers might be uncomfortable with what he's saying, it's not moving the needle back home in their districts. Senate is a little bit different because they have a larger group of people in their state. And I think we actually do see senators break with the president more than we see House members, but Mm -hmm. still not. I mean, Jeff Flake was the only one yesterday.
2: And I think uh, I I just quickly uh, on one of the monitors here this morning saw Jeff Flake's statement. He said something like the Republicans should not be okay with this. Right. But he he
0: did. And he's been saying things of that all along. And Jeff Flake also cannot run for reelection because he was not going to be able to win his primary. Because Republicans are okay with it, and they are not okay with him criticizing the president. Um, Bob Corker, another Trump critic, he also is, you know, retiring. John McCain. I mean, he's not up for re-election, and I think he has a different sort of history with America. But we don't know if he was running this year if primary voters would support him. I mean, Trump goes to rallies and criticizes him, and McCain's still getting booed, even though he is dying of brain cancer. I mean, it's horrible.
2: I'm not sure that would happen in Arizona, but um, but uh, no, I was yeah. at a
0: Trump rally and they have booed him before
2: in Arizona.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the base really is angry with him for his vote on Obamacare repeal and his criticisms of the president.
2: Yeah, which the president mentioned, by the way, at a different at a fundraiser the day he signed the McCain bill, without mentioning that right. it was the McCain bill. At a fundraiser, he also went after John McCain for the thumbs down thing,
0: right? But and it, McCain was not the only person who voted against it. There were three Republicans. Granted, McCain was a surprise, but it's not going after Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski on that,
3: right. which is weird because I figured he would be going after them first because they're women. Yes, like I figured that would I, that's a frequent target of his as well. I females
0: think Murkowski and Collins had given enough heads up to leadership; sure. they knew they'd vote against it. They feel betrayed by McCain.
2: So how are the Republicans going to feel when Donald Trump shuts down the government?
0: Well, they're trying really hard to make sure that does not happen. <laughs> um, they will feel pretty bad a month before reelection when they're already facing a now, really he, tough know, He's
2: all over the place battle. on this, but at at the present, is this present position, it could change within five minutes, we know, is this present position that You give me the wall, or still, you give me the wall, or I'm going to shut down the government?
0: Uh, It's hard to keep track, but I believe that is where he is at. It is really interesting, though, because when you talk to Republican leaders on this, they feel confident, or at least outwardly confident, that that will not happen, that behind closed doors, um, that is not what's being said. Ryan and McConnell had a meeting with Trump before recess, a few days before he tweeted that he would shut down the government. And they walked out feeling like he understood um, that it would be very bad to shut down the government. And they were feeling very confident. Trump tweeted all of those things. And when you loop back, Republicans say, well, that's just sort of a base rallying technique. And he understands how big this would be. But the president, he decides whatever he wants to decide. And I don't think someone, especially Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell, who disagree with the president from time to time, really understand what is going on. in this uh, head.
2: And when would that happen?
0: Funding runs out September 30th. So Congress needs to basically reappropriate. Oh, money. that's
2: great timing.
0: Right. <laughs> A month for the um, midterm. Yep. Right. Right. So what they have been doing in an effort to really avoid that from happening, Republicans and Democrats, I think, want to be perceived as working. Americans don't feel that Congress on either side is working well. So in the Senate, at least, the Appropriations Committee is working very closely, bipartisan, to move bills. The House has moved bills pretty much on a Republican basis, but they can do that. Um, And then they'll have to meet in conference and actually hash out details. So there are certain agencies that are being moved so far, the most controversial one, um, where the wall funding would be, Mm-hmm. is not it's not moved yet um, what they can do if they do not pass appropriations bill by September 30th is they can do CRS continuing resolutions, which is what remember the shutdown last year mm-hmm. they've been they were governing on continuing resolutions. It's basically a short-term bill that keeps funding at the same government level um, that is the thought that that will probably happen for the last few agencies and they're really hoping, Trump just signs those and gives them more time to negotiate until after the midterms. But the president's unpredictable.
2: Um, and what about support uh, among Republicans in the Senate for tariffs and for a trade war?
0: Very low. <laughs> um, Republicans <laughs> but again, are really.
2: What are they going to do right, about it?
0: Republicans are very concerned about trade. I would argue it's one of their top two issues I mean I think the few things we've seen Republicans What's the other one? really clear uh no I would I would say the Russia stuff they oh. are also concerned about but not as concerned about the effects on the midterms I just think they are concerned about what they're seeing the president do I think trade is maybe their number one issue that they're concerned about the effects on the harming midterms. the midterms they feel that Democrats have a good message on health care but they're banking that they're able to um go around that but I think trade because it is actually hitting someone in the pocketbook if these go through before the midterms and it's hitting farmers and it's hitting people well, in the Midwest of are,
2: some of them are already in place I mean right and and it's hitting the Trump impact voters. is starting to to uh to be felt by farmers and, and right. some small manufacturers and
0: But it's really interesting. The story so far that I've seen about this, the farmers are uncomfortable with what's happening, but there's this real trust in the president um, that a lot of people say it's just short term as long as it doesn't get too long. You know, trade deals are unfair. So I think Republicans are worried about that getting too long part. And so that and Russia is why I say those are the things we see Republicans break publicly from the president on and say this is we're uncomfortable with this, we don't like this, this is not, Part of the Republican platform, but they're not doing legislation to stop that. The Senate passed a non-binding resolution, but besides that, no, there not was doing some much. talk
2: originally about. Uh, I think even Mitch McConnell talked about it um, about legislation which would uh, limit. There was a bipartisan bill, if mean, you yes. think of it, uh, to, which would limit the president's. Executive authority to just unilaterally uh, adopt these and put in place right. these tariffs
0: on the basis of national security. Yeah. So that it was called the Corker-Toomey Amendment. That's right. Um, and it did have support. It probably could have passed. They did not bring that up. They brought basically a very similar version that was non-binding to send a message. That passed overwhelmingly, but the question is, it was non-binding. So, would a binding resolution of this same way, or not resolution? I guess bill pass, and we just it has not moved. So senators will say, "Look, what we did. We were sending the message," but at the end of the day, it can be overruled.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of messages, do you see any messages uh, for Senate Republicans from the primaries yesterday or last week?
0: Um. Well, I think it's interesting. Wisconsin, yesterday, we had uh, Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson. That was sort of one we're watching. Um, It's not going to be the most competitive general election, but it's up there. It's a state Trump one. Uh, Vukmir, at the last minute or the last few weeks came out, there was um, audio of her bashing the president, or at the time, the candidate in 2016, and pro Trump groups were really going after her on that. She was sort of the establishment God. pick. Isn't but that wild? She pulled it off. And so I don't know I don't know what you take from that, but you know, that is that mean that bashing the president is okay. By the way,
2: finding a Republican who was critical of Donald Trump in 2016 is not that difficult. Right. Right.
0: Look at his friends right at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Like, look at a lot of the senators that ran against him.
2: Yeah. I mean, right. And Scott Walker, right, who said— He said—it was phony because what he really did is run out of money. But he said, I'm getting out because we need to do everything we can to stop Donald Trump. So I'll get out of the way so we can all coalesce behind some other Republican— that the most important thing is to stop Donald Trump. And, and, and yesterday, Donald Trump tweeted out an endorsement of Scott Walker. Right.
0: Or Rand Paul. It got really nasty. Yeah. Trump wrote an yeah. introductory letter to Putin and sent it with Rand Paul to Russia. Yeah. I mean, Marco Rubio. Now he's his
3: messenger yeah. boy. Yeah, I mean. Remember when, that, he, remember when he used to roast Rand Paul over his haircut yes. in the debates?
0: Yes, See, the, <laughs> he made, he like He just made fun of his haircut. The Republican silly primaries were, they were something.
2: Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so it is interesting that a one-time Trump critic is now right. the Republican nominee. But in the
0: primaries, the Trump, Trump endorsement is this badge of honor. And we're watching that, like I mentioned, Martha McSally earlier in Arizona. I mean, that primary, she is probably going to win. She's sort of the establishment pick. McConnell wants her there. Um, she was actually very moderate when she was in the House. She's moved much further right for this primary. She's running against Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who we all remember he's able to run because Trump pardoned him. And then Kelly Ward, who is a state senator, who is very far right. Um, She's been endorsed by, like, Rand Paul, Steve Bannon. um, And they're all sort of fighting over who Trump is closest to.
2: And then we see uh, in Florida where Trump coming out for Ron DeSantis in a primary. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, for for governor there in, right. in Florida because the governor is running for Senate. Um, uh, uh, but Donald Trump getting involved in a Republican primary on support of a person who has been on Fox News day in and day out.
0: Right. Well, how about Kansas? We didn't even talk about Kansas. Chris Kobach, I mean, this is governor, this is not Senate, yes. but yeah. uh, Republicans do not want Chris Kobach to be their nominee, and it looks like he is, as of last night.
2: As of last night, uh, here's the governor of Kansas, uh, Jeff- um, Collier. Collier, Collier, right, who finally admitted uh, it was close, but um, I don't have a shot.
4: I've just had a conversation with the Secretary of State, and I congratulated him on his success, and I repeated my determination
2: to keep this seat in Republican hands. Well, yeah.
0: So this Kansas. state is now Kansas is now competitive because Chris Kobach and that was Trump just endorsed him. Um you know, it's Kansas, it's red. Who knows, Chris Kobach very well could be the governor of Kansas. Um but I mean, the fact Trump at the last minute just threw an endorsement out in the primary and you could argue it could make could have made the difference because it was so close.
2: Maybe Kathleen Sebelius should have run for re-election as governor of Kansas, right? because uh, Kansas deserves better than Sam Brownback, for sure, uh, or Chris or Chris Kobach. But that that raises the whole question of um, when you look at the chances in the, in the House, Democrats have a pretty good shot
0: at they taking do. back the House, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would definitely say. Scale of I've 1 heard, to 10? I, I have heard from people <laughs> who know this better than me, 60-40. I, I will not guess these okay. things. but You're Demo- not alone
3: in that, by the <laughs> way. We've heard that, we've yeah. heard that a couple yeah. of times yeah. here on the show. I
0: actually talked to a Democrat yesterday who I asked um, what he felt the chances were, and he said, I would bet on it, but I would not bet my kid's college savings is was where he was confident. <laughs> but I said, 50 bucks? He said, more than that. Mm.
2: Yeah. Uh, but how about on the Senate side? Any shot at all?
0: There's a shot, but it's small. Um the map is just so, so good for Republicans. And, you know, Democrats have really gotten some good, strong candidates in states that they shouldn't really be competitive. I mean, in Tennessee, in um, in Arizona, in Texas. I mean, Texas is a long shot, but they, they feel like Beto is giving Ted Cruz a run for his money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but those are the few. And then, of course, Nevada, which is competitive, Dean Heller. But there are just there are so many more red states where Democrats are up for reelection. So even if those Democrats, every single one held, it would be it would be the exact same as how it is now. And it's likely just because the nature of elections that a couple of them will lose. Republicans might lose a couple seats. Democrats might lose a couple seats. But that would mean that they held the 51-49
2: the, basically, it just comes out the way it is today.
0: Probably. I mean, it might change with a few. <laughs> Republicans are not going to get 60. Um, yeah. But Democrats, pro- I mean, you Democrats could have this amazing year and they could flip Tennessee and Arizona and Nevada and hold every seat. But that's... That's
2: what they'd have to do. they have to hold every seat and pick up two. Right. Uh, which means Arizona, Nevada, or... Tennessee.
0: Right. And it's just I mean, purely it's a lot of money. Right. Like looking at Florida, Bill Nelson is being given a real run because um, Governor Rick Scott just has so much money and he can just keep on the airwaves in a state that's really expensive. He's, you know, the governor. He's popular going after. And so Democrats have to decide where they're going to allocate their resources. Is it a pickup opportunity or is it to save one of their own? Because there is limited resources. There's lots of money in politics, but at the end of the day, can't necessarily be competitive in 15 seats. In the
2: House, um, on the Democratic side, one of the factors in the congressional race, seems to be everybody, every candidate is asked, okay, are you a vote for Nancy Pelosi, yes, yes or no?
0: Yes. I actually was just in uh, Dave Brat's district in virginia, in virginia last week yeah um it's the it's the suburbs of richmond he's Rich- the
2: guy that knocked eric Cantor off yes and, and now he's, he's in trouble he's right? in trouble
0: and he's very conservative he's a freedom caucus guy who has really made a lot of members of his own party mad um he's not moving too far to the middle i have to say but i was out there i spent some time with him and then i spent some time with abigail Spamberger, who's the democrat running against mm-hmm. him he is really running sort of the traditional Republican playbook, and he says, Pelosi, are you going to support yeah. her? She says no.
2: She says no. She right. says no.
0: Like yeah. a lot of other ones, doesn't.
2: Uh, so Nancy, in some districts, Pelosi is a burden. Absolutely. Yeah. In
0: in a lot of these districts, the districts they need to flip, the moderate districts.
2: Right. We'll see how that all plays out. Uh, you've got a lot on your plate these days, uh, Eliza. <laughs> it's always fun. Uh, okay. And the Senate's coming back, so you better get over there and and run these guys down. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. dot usatoday.com. This and we will see you tomorrow. Show.